Well, it certainly can't be denied uh, that mothers play uh, a tremendous role in each one of our lives. Uh, In in many ways, mothers help shape us into who we are. So whether you have a really good relationship with your mother or uh, maybe a a not so great relationship with your mother, uh, it really can't be denied that moms have an incredibly uh, shaping influence on the lives of kids. Uh, I've told this story before, but I remember uh, when our kids were first born, uh, and I was so excited to have kids and to be a dad, uh, but what I realized at the very beginning is that for babies, especially in young kids, uh, there's two types of people in the world. There's mom, and then there's not mom. And I, of course, fell in the, the, the faceless crowd of all people that were considered uh, to be not mom. And so what that reminds us is that moms really have a a tremendous influence in shaping families and shaping who we are. And of course, this Advent season, if you'll be with us, you'll know, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been uh, looking at the mothers of Jesus Christ. Uh, We began a couple weeks ago uh, looking at a Canaanite woman named Tamar, and we saw that uh, her messy story reminds us that God's in the business of showing up in the messiest of lives. And that provides a lot of hope for each one of us who at times feel like our lives uh, are a bit messy and we need God to show up. Uh, If you were with us last week, we looked at another Canaanite woman. Uh, Her name was Rahab, another mother of Jesus Christ. And what we saw from her story is that this salvation that comes from God is open to all, regardless of race, uh, regardless of ethnicity, regardless regardless of background and uh, that, that this salvation could come to people that have a less than stellar past. And that, of course, was true of Rahab as well. And so this week, what we want to do is look at another foreign woman who is a mother of Jesus Christ. We want to look at the story of Ruth, uh, a woman from the country of Moab. And so what we're going to do is, just as we've done each week, look at at least a portion of Matthew's genealogy uh, in Matthew chapter 1, and then I'm going to go back to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament to just read uh, a verse or two. So uh, this is God's Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation. And Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And now skipping back to Ruth chapter 1, just two verses But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. 
May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your scriptures. Thanks for even passages like this genealogy with lots of names, some of which we know their stories, uh, some we don't. I pray, Father, that you would help remind us that individuals matter in your kingdom, uh, that salvation is open to all. But help us as we look at this story of Ruth to uh, see the power of it as well, that Ruth becomes numbered amongst one of your family uh, and that salvation comes through uh, Ruth's line. So be with us as we look at your word here this morning. Help us to understand its relevance to our lives. Help us to grasp once again the power of the Christmas story. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you ever heard the name of uh, Philip Brooks before, uh, but Philip Brooks was born in Boston uh, in the early 1800s. Uh, he grew up in a good home, and all his life he wanted to be a schoolteacher. And so uh, he got to go to uh, the Boston Latin School, which was a prestigious school in Boston, and then he went and studied at Harvard uh, University to become a teacher. And then once he graduates from Harvard, he actually gets a job back at his old prep school, the Boston uh, Latin School. And so he goes in to become uh, this first-year teacher at this school, and his first year is an absolute disaster. He gets fired from his job. He discovers that he's actually a terrible teacher. And this uh, sent him into all sorts of life confusion. After he was fired, he says uh, he hit rock bottom. Uh, he wrote, I do not know what will become of me, and I do not care much. Uh, so he was in a really bad place. So on a whim, he decides, well, maybe I should study to become something different. So he becomes a pastor. He goes and studies to become a pastor. He goes to divinity school, and he discovers that he can actually preach. He becomes one of the most famous preachers in all of Boston, uh, so much so that at his death, the actual city of Boston threw a parade in his honor because he was such an influential pastor in the city of Boston. Now, you may not have heard that whole story ever before because what Philip Brooks is most known for is not being a great pastor or being a failure uh, as a teacher. He's most known for writing a little song that we've all heard, a little song called Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. That became his enduring legacy. But his story really is a story of reversal, of going down one path, having that path be a really bad one, and having to turn things around. And that really is uh, the Ruth story in a nutshell as well. It is a story of reversals. It begins in famine and it moves to abundance. It moves from estrangement to inclusion. It moves from barrenness to blessing. It moves from death to life. It moves from vulnerability to security. And all of these reversals in the Ruth story hinge upon one central idea, and that is the idea of redemption. And we're going to look at that this morning. The book of Ruth takes place in a really difficult period in the history of God's story. It's this judge's period. Uh, it's really a terrible chapter in the story of God's history, the Israelite people. And so if you've ever read the book of Judges, you know exactly what, I was what I'm talking about. Because the refrain to know about this chapter of history in God's people's story 
is that everyone did right was their, in their own eyes. Everybody decided what was right and wrong for themselves. And so it was a very dark time in their history. Uh, the spiritual depravity of God's people during this point is incredibly thick. And so as you read the book of Judges, it just seems to be spiraling downward and getting worse and worse as you read the story. Uh, the sinfulness is getting more intense with every chapter. And so uh, it's a really depressing book to read. And when you come to the end, it's remarkably depressing as well. Well, the book of Ruth actually happens during this time period. And it's an incredibly refreshing book because it is this small sort of self-contained story that happens during this judge's period. But it is a refreshingly beautiful story in the midst of a really ugly chapter in the history of God's people. But even though it's refreshing, even though it's beautiful, even though it has a very happy ending, it starts in actually a very sad and depressing way. It doesn't begin very happy. Because when the book opens, you read about uh, a, a great sadness. Uh, you read about death. Because the story begins with a woman named Naomi. And this is Ruth's mother-in-law. And she's an incredibly important figure in this story. In fact, uh, one of the interesting lessons of the book of Ruth, uh, one of the interesting takeaways is always be kind to your mother-in-law. Because if you're kind to your mother-in-law, really good things happen right? I don't think that's the main point of the book of Ruth, but it's an important point that comes uh, from this story. And so Ruth's story begins with, with death and sadness, because what you learn is Naomi is married to a man named Elimelech, and uh, they, they're living in the region of Judah, but in the region of Judah, there's this uh, huge famine, and there's no food for everyone. And so Naomi and Elimelech take their two sons. They have two sons named Malon and Chilion. And this whole family has to leave Judah. There's just not enough food there. And so they go to the land of Moab, a, a foreign country, in hopes of just surviving the famine. But while they're there, they decide that it's time to take wives for their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And so they take two uh, wives from the people of Moab, and uh, their names are Orpah and Ruth. Ruth becomes the main character of the story. And so tragedy strikes this family in that Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion, they all die. The scriptures don't tell, them this, tell us the circumstances of their death, but they all die and they leave behind these three widows. Uh, they leave behind Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And what we learn about Naomi is, of course, she is overcome with sadness because of all the death that has surrounded her. In fact, she wants to change her name to Mara, which means bitter. She wants her entire identity to be represented in that name of bitterness. And so what she realizes is that the land of Moab has nothing left for her. And she decides she's in an incredibly vulnerable state, so she's going to go home. She's going to return back to Judah, hoping that someone will care for her in her vulnerable state. So she decides to go home, and she sends Orpah and Ruth away. She says, there's nothing with me but death and sadness, so go back to your families in Moab. Go back to them, and maybe fortune will visit you again. 
So Orpah decides to, to take her up on this offer. She returns back to her family, but Ruth refuses to go back to her family in Moab. In fierce loyalty, she declares to Naomi that she will remain by her side forever. She says to her, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And this is the most important one. Your God will be my God. So Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side no matter what. She promises to stay by her side to the death. And don't miss the significance of what this meant for Ruth. Because in this culture, in this day, childbearing determined a woman's value. So for Ruth to decide not to go back to Moab and to stay with Naomi essentially closed that door on her life. Following Naomi would in many ways feel like a dead end to Ruth, but that didn't matter to her. She decided instead that she was going to be loyal to her mother-in-law, that the Israelite people, Naomi's people, or Naomi's people would now be Ruth's people. And this is the most important thing, that the God of the Israelites would now be Ruth's God. She was rejecting the, the pagan gods of her culture. She was committing to serve Israel's God, the one true God. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw that Rahab had a moment like this. She was attracted to the, to the God of the Israelite people, and so she converted to their faith commitment. And this is Ruth's conversion moment as well. She was going to serve the God of Naomi, the Israelites' God. And so Ruth and Naomi, they return back to Judah, hoping to just simply survive on uh, the goodwill and the charity of others in Judah. And so upon returning, uh, Ruth decides, or more like she's sent by Naomi, uh, Ruth decides that she is going to glean uh, from the fields of a man named Boaz, who is uh, a distant relative of Naomi. And this was a way that, that poor and vulnerable people could obtain food in the ancient world. It might be the modern equivalent to begging on the streets, which we see often here in Baltimore. And so what Ruth would have to do is she would have to pick up the scraps of the harvest after the farmers had already gleaned the fields. Now, for Ruth, this would have been humiliating to have to do this. And it would also put her in all sorts of vulnerable positions. Uh, she would be vulnerable to violence uh, in this position, uh, particularly sexual violence that was known to happen to the poor who gleaned the fields uh, after the farmers. And so for Ruth, uh, this, the, the doing this, the risk was incredibly high. But she did it anyway. This is what they had to do in order to survive. So as she is gleaning in the fields of Boaz, um, she is noticed by Boaz. Now, we don't know if this is a classic love story. Uh, we don't know whether what Boaz was thinking when he first uh, noticed Ruth as uh, she was gleaning in the fields. Um, but what we do know is that, that Ruth caught Boaz's eye. Now, it could have been compassion. He was very compassionate towards Ruth and Naomi. Uh, it might have been love at first sight. We can maybe think that that's what it was. Uh, maybe he just wanted to repay Ruth back 
to the, for the faithfulness that he had dem- seen her, demonstrated in her towards her mother-in-law, Naomi. So we don't really know why, but we do know that Boaz protects Ruth within her vulnerable position. He sends her home with an abundance of food. He promises to her that she can return any time that she wants to glean from Boaz's uh, field. He gives her protection. He gives her security in the midst of a remarkably vulnerable situation. And so you can imagine Naomi's surprise when Ruth comes back and she has an abundance of food from the harvest. Naomi is blown away by what Ruth returns back with from gleaning in these fields. But she's blown away for another reason as well because there's a significance to this situation that, uh, that adds intrigue to this story because what Naomi knows is that Ruth is uh, a distant relative of Boaz, that because of marriage, she and Naomi are a distant relative of Boaz, and that means something for their culture, and it means something for their situation. If you were with us two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Tamar, and we saw there's all sorts of weird customs and laws that surrounded the story of Tamar. Uh, This was called the the Leverate Law of Marriage, and these laws had to do with sort of death and inheritance and the preserving of family lines. And so as you come to the Ruth story, you see some of these laws come into play as well. And in Ruth's story, this was the law of redemption. And one commentator summarized this law in this way. These were customs that required that when a widow of a childless man decided to sell his estate, if there was no brother, then the nearest of kin and heir to the deceased should buy and redeem it from the widow. Now that seems really sort of complex and convoluted and in many ways irrelevant to the beauty of the story, but it does have significance for Naomi and Ruth. Because this was a way for property to stay within a family. But if that family, if that property was attached to a person, then those widows would come along with the property. So the long and short of it is this. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all realize that the laws of Kingsman Redeemer come into play in this situation. And the most important thing is that Boaz could be one of those redeemers. He could be one of those people that could redeem back not just this property, but could redeem back the lives of Naomi and Ruth. But the question becomes, will Boaz do it? Will Boaz follow along with these laws? Because there is some question to it because it would cost him financially to do this, to follow these laws. It would put him at incredible financial risk to do it. It would bring a tremendous burden that he didn't have to really shoulder himself if he didn't want to. So will Boaz do it? Will he become the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth? And the climax of the story comes in Ruth chapter 15, and it all happens on the threshing floor, and there's all sorts of interesting ancient customs that are involved in this as well, but that climactic moment provides the answer. 
Because in that moment, Ruth asks Boaz, she says this, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so what's going to happen? What is Boaz going to say? And what we learn is that the answer is yes. I will redeem you. I will redeem Naomi back. But there's one little complication to it, and that is there is one other redeemer that's actually first in line in terms of redemption. So if that first in line refuses, then Boaz agrees that he will be the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. And the next day in the town square, it all becomes official. Boaz becomes the redeemer, and he takes Ruth to be his wife. And then the story gets even better from there because Ruth conceives and bears a son. That's what she most desired. And Naomi, everything has changed for Naomi as well. She's a grandmother now. And because of that, she's beaming. And so don't miss her story. She, she starts out as pleasant. That's what the word or the name Naomi means. It means pleasant. And then she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. And now this. She is given a grandson. She is given an heir. And because of that, she is celebrated all throughout the town because the Lord has restored her life and blessed her richly. And what we get at the very end of the book of Ruth is another genealogy. And what that genealogy tells us is that Boaz, along with Ruth, fathers Obed. And Obed becomes a grandfather to Israel's greatest king, and that is King David. And then you fast forward all the way to the book of Matthew, and what you learn from the book of Matthew is this, that Ruth this Moabite woman, this seemingly obscure woman, uh, becomes one of the mothers of the King of Kings. She becomes one of the mothers of Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of this beautiful book of Ruth, we get this sort of story of redemption that's rooted in all the sort of customs and laws of their day. But this story of redemption, of course, points to a bigger story of redemption. It points to the gospel story of redemption. And so don't miss that this is a story of reversals, as we said before. It moves from famine to abundance. It moves from estrangement to inclusion. It moves from barrenness to blessing. It moves from death to life. It moves from vulnerability to security. And all of these reversals hinge upon the concept of redemption. But what we learn from the great story of the scriptures is this, is that the gospel story is a cosmic story of redemption. Now, this is a cultural story of redemption that we see in Ruth, but it points to the cosmic story of redemption because the gospel tells us some really important things. It tells us that all of us are spiritually barren, we might have all the wealth, we might have all the food we want, but we all still experience barrenness, and that is a spiritual barrenness. And we are born into that spiritual famine due to sin. It, it has left us, all of us, estranged and alone 
orphaned from the family of God. And the punishment of that sinfulness, the punishment that we all deserve, is eternal death. And so that leaves us in a vulnerable, helpless state, unable to save ourselves. But the gospel also tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, all those things can change about us. All those things can be reversed as it were. We can experience not just famine and barrenness, but we can experience the abundance of God's kingdom. We can be included in the family of God, adopted as sons and daughters. We can be blessed beyond what our imaginations can grasp. We can experience security. We can have, to use the words of Ruth, we can have the wings of our Savior cover over us. We who deserve death can experience life. But one of the things that the gospel is very careful for us to understand is this, that that reversal doesn't come through hard work or effort. It doesn't come because we somehow earn it. It doesn't come because we are more righteous or holy or spiritual than the next guy. It only comes because Jesus is our Redeemer. He buys us back to himself. Now, just as the cost wasn't cheap for Ruth to be uh, redeemed by Boaz, so the gospel tells us that the cost of our redemption was not cheap as well. The burden that Jesus Christ had to bear was tremendous because the gospel tells us that it cost him his very life. On the cross, being crucified, he restored our redemption. He made our redemption possible. And he made it possible that by faith, our lives can change as well. By receiving his gracious gift of redemption, we can be made whole we, by faith, can experience a reversal. And so what's inter- the interesting detail about the story, the final interesting detail about the story is this. Don't miss the setting of where this story of redemption takes place. Yes, it is in the land of Judah, as we mentioned before, but it also happens in a small little town. And the little small town in which this Ruth story plays out, this story of redemption plays out, is a little town called Bethlehem. Boaz was a redeemer from the little town of Bethlehem. And of course we recognize that Jesus, our ultimate redeemer, was also born in this same little town, the little town of Bethlehem. Let's pray.